Well, welcome to both Winging It. Now, every two weeks, you get our regular Birds of a Feather show, and on the off weeks, you get this show. And what are we doing? Well, we are, in fact, winging it. <laughs> Ignore me. <laughs> what? Just, just go. Just go. I'll get there. I'm going to start again. Why? Okay, start again. Okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> Ignore me. That makes me laugh more. (laughs) You're going to be able to hear that sound when you lower into the mic. How much more ignorable can I be? Okay. Welcome to Birds of a Feather Winging It. Now, you still have your regularly scheduled show every two weeks, but on the off weeks, you get winging it. And what are we doing? Well, we are, in fact, just winging it. Now, last time, we discussed album covers, and we asked you to weigh in, and we have the results. Are you excited? Stoked. Chuffed, as the Brits would say. Oh, my goodness. Very nice. So, any guesses? Any guesses as to maybe one of the covers that our uh, our respondents brought up? Actually, tastes are so strange, and I've I've never seen people always seem to hate the ones I like. So, uh, I I actually have no guesses. All right, well here we go. As long as it's not like Beyonce or some lame shit like that. Ooh, no, that's really? the top three. Oh, Beyonce, please. no, oh. no. So here we go. Bowie, Ziggy, Stardust. Oh. Yes, Relayer. Stone Temple Pilots Purple. Oh, God. Hey. Sorry. That doesn't mean that the album cover sucks, <laughs> yeah. does it? Uh, Buffalo, Stars of the Bars. Now, that's a funny one. It's like a 1970s kind of throwback. It's hilarious. Kiss Alive. Hey. <laughs> Midlake, The Trials of Occupanther. So it's very bizarre. I cannot wait for you all to see this. So, what if you year go, are we talking? Here? I have no idea. Like I think last it's week got, or no. It's got to be like the seventies. It's crazy. Iggy and the Stooges, more power. Raw power. Oh, oh, oh more power is a re-release. I'm sorry. Yeah, my bad. Go ahead. And Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young's Deja Vu. That's a pretty good one. Nirvana's. Not, uh, no, uh, not, not the baby dick one. Come the on. baby dick. Come on. <laughs> it made the list. They love it. Apparently, they're pro, pro baby dick. Mothers of Invention were only in it for the money. <laughs> Miles Davis, Bitches Brew. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Brain Salad Surgery. Oh, well, no. Jethro Tull, Thick as a Brick. Rush Moving Pictures. Soundgarden. Who made this list? Louder Bruce? than love. No. <laughs> he did contribute a couple. Renaissance prologue. Pink Floyd. Wish you were here. Jethro Tull. Broadsword and the Beast. And finally, Miles Davis. Birth of Cool. Wow. Now I will say I'm in on Ziggy Stardust for sure. I do love the Iggy and the Stooges cover. It's really cool. I mean, it's just, it's pretty chill, but it's really, really fucking cool. And it's just, I mean, just, you had to have that. It just, it's perfect for him. Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here is fucking classic. And uh, actually, I think that's kind of where it ends for me. Those are my favorites of those. Do you have any favorites? Well, not on that list. Well, the the Ziggy Stardust cover is really good. And mm-hmm. you notice the sign? Uh, it, it was it was presciently predicting the rise of Kanye West. The sign over his head says K-West. You know? It does. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a great cover. It really is. Uh, and, of course, the album is immortal. But, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, best album covers list and nobody, no, no uh, well, Pink, uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, brain salad surgery, mm-hmm. great. Okay, I'm fine with that. That is, you know, R.H. or H.R. Geiger, whatever it is, uh, incredible work of art. It was actually modified because originally it uh, contained what appeared to be a penis approaching this mm. uh, 
freaky looking monster space woman's uh, face. Like you do. Like you do. You know, I mean, it's just it's the reaction. Of course. And uh, it was, well, the album was originally going to be called Whip Some Skull on Your. Uh, <gasps> oh, because, wow. uh, so the, the penis was airbrushed, uh, airbrushed to look like a, just a shaft of light. Uh, <laughs> oh, of course. Uh, it was the shaft, but this time it's a shaft of light. <laughs> And um, the album title was uh, was changed from its orig- original intention, but brain salad surgery itself is said to be a metaphor for uh, De Otto Zix. So, yes. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm glad they went a little bit on the high road, whipped some skull on your, just totally, just yeah. not, does not fit an album of that caliber at all. So um, beyond that, but I mean, seriously, no deep purple on, on a list like this. Are you mm. mad? You know? Have no. you gone insane? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, I was relieved to find Beyonce wasn't really on there. No. Although, as you said, some shit albums can have good covers. They, they can. They really can. Absolutely. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know there are probably plenty. Kiss Alive, though. It is a fabulous album cover. It really is, uh, I think. I think it's just it's one of the grabbiest albums. It's almost one of the defining album covers of the 70s. Very grabby. It may uh, obviously be staged, but it looks kind of live too, so it's. It, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant cover. No, I like it. I think it's yeah. a great cover. I'm. I'm shocked that you're not more excited about some of the other covers, though. I really. I'm shocked. I am. I and thought you'd they be... were again. <laughs> <laughs> Which covers might I have thought? Well, I thought you would really like the thick as a brick cover because it oh. is very, very intricate i mean it's really it's like a newsprint and it's yeah. got i mean it's so well thought out it's so clever it it fits the the entire album it's it, i just think it's brilliant i thought it was really really smart so i'm surprised you didn't jump on that bandwagon it's a clever cover it really is i'm not i originally i was into the whole idea of gerald bostock the kid i believe his name is <laughs> and you know the whole newspaper thing but uh, the more i listen to the the album i'm not a big fan of the lyrics i just i don't know uh as you get older, rock lyrics that used to impress you, it isn't that they're not well-crafted. They're brilliant. Ian Anderson is a genius. This is of definitely course. not my favorite Tull work, though. Oh. Um, the, uh, I just don't like the lyrical... The music is, is exceptional. I just don't like the lyrical content. It's so, it's so cynical. It's like, d- didn't we get enough of that from Pink Floyd? You know? Hmm. Uh, I mean... There's always a little room for cynicism, yeah, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Ian Anderson is always on that. Always. But, um, uh, that is way down the list of my... I mean, Songs from the Wood, uh, War Child. I mean, this, you know, uh, Jethro Tull has done so much more. Eh, you know, it's, uh, it is a good, it's a clever cover, though. So it as a cover, I have to hand it to if I had, if, if you just showed me covers and I'd never heard the albums, I would probably pick that one, too. Yeah. Interesting, though, that it's such a great album. I mean, that album is so good that you allow the lyrical content to have you kind of turn away from such a brilliant record no i've listened to it a million times and uh it's on the uh the live uh bursting out great live album uh i've seen him do it live it's uh i i do love it and i've listened to it a million times in life it's just when i get older things hit me differently like i cannot i can't listen to pink floyd animals anymore i just can't mm. it's a it's an orgy of hatred it just makes me gag you oh know? wow yeah I, I i'll listen to wish you were here well you know, I could go on about them all day, but uh, yeah, uh, I did forget about the Kiss Alive. What else was in there that I uh, just slipped through my adult brain? Um, well, I think also probably, like you said, Deja Vu is a really great cover. I thought you liked that cover. It is a good cover, yeah. 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 Iggy and the Stooges, we talked about that a little bit. Um, the Jethro Tull Broadsword and the Beast is a really, really cool it is cover, a good cover, too. I'm I mean, not familiar with the record, but it is a good cover. I am not as familiar with the re- that record as I am with Thick as a Brick, which I just, oh, I absolutely love. But I know that it is quintessential Tull. So, um, Wish You Were Here is obviously a brilliant cover. I just, it's, I love that cover as well. So, those are the ones that I thought you might uh, have a response to. But I really thought that they turned out some really great and varied i mean over all kinds of genres just tons and tons i mean went everything from you know grunge to prog to you know jazz so really really great and we had a ton of respondents to a question that i just posed on my personal page Uh, so that was really really great and we appreciate that people are always you know responsive and want to be involved in the show and we will always follow through and talk about what we asked Uh, actually we we really do need that we appreciate it so much oh a bitches brew by the way that's a that's a nice cover it's so cool yeah that's a good cover one of the best albums i've ever heard and that's the thing is 
I've heard people say it's either that or kind of blue or both of them. Oh, it's like God. if you don't have this in your collection, you don't love music. I'm like, please don't, don't, don't go the superlative you don't route love on me. Jazz, jazz, and, and it's just it's really brilliant. It's brilliant jazz, and I, maybe later, you know, like you said, your musical taste continued to change, you know, and and maybe later on when it'll hit you right you, you know mean, you mean maybe someday i'll grow up <laughs> <laughs> I when, wasn't... I'm, when i'm more mature i'll understand when yeah jazz. i mean with... i'm with spinal tap who said uh, who famously said jazz is like all one big mistake you know <laughs> no it isn't though i do love some jazz wow i do love it you better be careful we're gonna we're gonna get hate mail spinal <laughs> tap said it not me no and they have the the three-part jazz odyssey right. on the, yes uh, jazz odyssey you know jazz as Odyssey, yes. Uh, the um, <laughs> we're big Spinal Tap fans here. Yes, right? I love it. Um, the oh, how about that? The cover. There's the greatest cover oh. ever. Uh, smell the glove. I mean, come on. Just the black. Smell the glove. It, it looks like death. You know? <laughs> how much more black could this be? How much more? Yeah. Uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> You're just. We were just talking about maybe. Uh, oh, jazz. jazz. Me growing yeah. up and appreciating jazz. Right. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I actually didn't say that. <laughs> I tried to slip it by a second time. <laughs> I saw that. My mouth cannot put yeah. words in it. <laughs> no, there is. A, there are local. There's a local art, a local saxophone artist here, and I've I've seen him play many times. I love his music. I have all his albums. I love his stuff. I do have some jazz. I love Herbie uh, Hancock. I love uh, George Benson. But it isn't often, and I like big band and swing, which I do not consider jazz. Those are not jazz to me. Jazz mm. is a separate thing. Jazz is a bunch of people playing endless solos, and you know nobody seems to know what anybody else is doing. And uh, actually, so- <laughs> it's improvisation, and they play off each other. They have to be brilliant to do yeah. that. Actually, I mean, some musicians that are really, really well versed, I would find that challenging because actually, it's all improvisation. Well, not all, but you know, there's a there's a foundation usually, but it's really they are riffing off each other in in these brilliant you know completely complex ways which it just blows my mind and, and as often as the comparison is made uh people say well jazz is like Amer- I've heard, how many times have you heard people say jazz is american classical music it's, it's not the same thing i love jazz about five percent of the time honestly and uh, i mean i'm hardcore enough where uh this guy i was talking about local artist named vaughn foy plays um with bass uh he, he has a quartet he has a quintet but he also does a trio sax skins and strings bass drums and just the sax nobody else and it's uh, just incredible to the things that they pull off with that so no i will totally get into jazz big time at you know at intervals but then it then it moves on but classical on the other hand to me there's no comparison classical is obviously the opposite of improvisational uh, except for the cadenzas and everything but that will anytime all day i have no problem I'm a classical music fanatic uh, that's much much bigger than jazz to me they're not even cl- even similar but uh, I do love some jazz just a very small percent of the time. But you know what your issue is with jazz, I believe, is that you don't really like it when people kind of show off. Show off. No, and no. that is, jazz is really about showing how good you are at your craft See, and showing how you have bested these instruments and how you understand music. And, you know, it's really... It's really showing off. It's snobbery. Your, <laughs> your mastery. You object to all things snobbish? No. I mean, it's it's really masters working with other masters, and yeah. that's what I think is beautiful. I mean, so the same, I guess, could be said for prog rock. And I, I mean, if you think of yes, yes, songs are, you know, six minutes, some, you know, 11 minutes, 12 minutes, 20 minutes, and you could say all they do is show off. And yeah, they do to some degree. That's absolutely true. However, they're also masters at their craft, creating this beautiful thing with what I call movements. So to me, I get the American classical music comparisons because it, it is a bunch of brilliant people working to, together to create this beautiful piece of music. And I, I find it dizzying in a good way, you know, just to, to, to be able to hear that these people can do it first with jazz in an improvisational way, but then... Also, to hear, I mean, if you think about all these Yes songs, and I'm just, I focus on Yes because I just love them, but like a 20 minute song, how much work goes into creating that 20 minute song? And there is every kind of solo. Ah. You know? You mentioned, and, and I don't know how it slipped my mind, uh, 
partly it's being almost 60, I guess. But um, Relayer, brilliant cover. Fantastic. Yes, Relayer, since we're talking about yes. Roger Dean, my goodness. Oh, Roger yes. Dean is just one of the great uh, art creators uh, of all time uh, of album art. And he's done a tremendous work with Yes. It's so, uh, it's so surreal and beautiful. Uh, and Relayer, of course, is a great example of that. And that's a very jazzy record. I mean, this is all like Sound Chaser. They're just go. It's like a big jazz thing and everything. So no, I do love some jazz sometimes. It's just it. Do, and I really like to see it live. It just doesn't get me going like every day or anything. I, I got to hear classical. I got to hear rock. I got to hear something else. Hmm. But uh, yeah, jazz in its place. Yeah, it's great. It's like some kind of uh, strange meal or whatever. But uh, I'm definitely not one of those everyday jazz. Oh my god, I go crazy. It's like, well, did I almost just say it's like country? Forget and wash my tongue out, what? wash my mouth out with In soap. Ever loving for saying such a thing. I don't mean that. Uh, yeah, no, that can't. Yeah. We need to cut that from the show. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that was a real scream. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm glad I remembered Relayer. That's a that's a great one too. So yeah, yeah, those are some good ones. They did actually pick quite a few good ones, didn't they? Absolutely. There's but a lot of no really deep really purple. good ones. Come on, come on. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a personal. That's a personal thing. But they thing. picked a kiss, so they, they get some. They get a they pen, did. Yeah. and they had yes in there in the ELP. That's I mean, come true. on. That's I mean, they true. had some. They really pulled it. Bowie. I, I mean, I'm really impressed. Yeah. I really am impressed. I mean, but not Revolver. I mean, Beatles Revolver. I mean, that's a hell of a cover right there. You know? I mean, there's a there's so. I mean, there's endless amounts of covers that we could just sit here. I mean, yeah. I know we didn't cover them. Certainly, these people didn't cover them because there's just they're. They're insurmountable. The amount is just crazy. And yet on winging it, one I all I could come up with is four. <laughs> and I had to look at my index card to come up with the other one, too. But there are actually quite a few. But uh, anyway, thanks for participating with the album covers and all. And uh, Lewis contributed, uh, got in on that with uh, absolutely. the Stooges. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. We had some really uh, brilliant musicians weigh in, which was fantastic. So I appreciate that. And then some of... Uh, some people that are non-musicians, which we appreciate. We want to hear from everyone. So then you might be thinking, well, shit, is this all you guys are going to talk about? The answer is no. No way. Have, absolutely not. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just an, an aside. So what we're going to do now is we are going to jump into what we're actually going to talk about today. David, are you ready to find out what we're actually going to talk about? What's on for today? Well, here's the good news about winging it. We are actually doing just that. So today I'm coming up with what we're going to discuss. And the topic this time is... The 20 Greatest Albums of 1973. 1973. What was going on in 1973? Well, let me share a little bit about 1973. Elsewhere, American Vice President Spiro Agnew resigned after being accused of tax evasion. Billie Jean King, Bobby Riggs, and the infamous Battle of the Sexist Tennis Match. (laughs) I loved that one. Britain joined the European Union. In music, Kiss played their first ever show at the Coventry Club in Queens. Wow. Lou Reed was bitten on the buttocks by a fan during a concert in Buffalo. The Scorpions played their first show with... Yuli John Roth after he replaced Michael Schenker. CBGB opened and ACDC formed in Sydney. Those are some of the things that happened in 1973. Wow. And CBGB, I only found out a year or two ago that, that it was closed. I thought it was just always there like the Whiskey mm. A Go-Go, but no, it isn't. No, too. it's gone. Those so things, sad. Those things should never go away. It should it's like, never. It's like, I've heard people say that the, the, the whole block there on the Strip, the Whiskey and the Viper Room and, and the Rainbow, oh, they're going to sell that. They're going to develop it. It's just like, that. just shoot me when that happens. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, they did that with the other, you know, House of Blues, which was yeah, heartbreaking yeah. that they sold it, the Sunset Strip one. Now, I mean, it was in disrepair and it needed a lot of work, but it was still the House of Blues and now yeah. it's gone and it's now, I think, apartment complexes or a hotel or wow. something and it just breaks my heart. Oh, they got to leave the whiskey and the, and the rainbow and the viper and the Roxy. Not that I've ever been to the Roxy, but, you know. So it can happen. Yeah. And the Mint, we need all that kind of stuff to oh, stick around. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot. I've never been yeah, to the Mint. the Mint, the Lexington. There's so many places uh, that we need to... Keep so that's another point really quick before we get into the uh, the albums is you know we really have to save our venues I mean we really need people to go out to live shows once they come back 
It's just critical because if not, I mean, more and more venues are closing. More and more venues are saying, hey, we can't get enough patronage, so we're going to have to close. So if you don't come out to the venues, you know, we can't play. We can't play for nobody. So please go support venues like the Rainbow, like the Whiskey, like the Viper, like the Lexington, you know, the Mint, all of those things. The Hotel Cafe, Absolutely, Hotel Cafe, exactly. The world-famous Doll Hut. World-famous Doll Hut. That's right. Go support live music once it returns. Support it online until then. How many times have I beaten the drum about this on Butterflies? I know. You know, it's like, you know I would say, I'm as old as the hills. I'm as poor as dirt. I go out to live music, and, and you could too. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. It takes a little bit of effort. That's it. A little bit of effort, mm. and the payoff is gigantic. The payoff is huge. Yeah. All right. So here we go, getting right into the album. So I'm going to share the album with you, tell you a little bit about it. Feel free to have a a response, of course, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about the album, too. So, ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Alice Cooper, Billion Dollar Babies. Oh! (laughs) Alice Cooper's fourth album with Bob Ezrin marked the apex of his creativity. With schools out fresh in the international psyche, expectations were high, and Cooper, at the peak of his tabloid notoriety, delivered. What say you about this? I think I know. Well, this is one of the, you know, it's one of the pivotal albums for me when I moved into the suburbs and that's where the kids were listening to all this glam and Bowie and Alice Cooper and Kiss and everything. And Billion Dollar Baby is one of the first things I have heard. Um, I remember walking into this dude's house and I heard this voice that just froze me. It was like, and I'm like, that's the uh, right there in Generation Landslide, which is on Billion Dollar Babies. And that song contains a wicked uh, harmonica solo and everything, and it's a kick-ass guitar outro. Uh, and it's just so. Uh, please clean your bait. <clears throat> please clean your. Please clean your plate, dear. The Lord above can see you. Don't you know people are starving in Korea? I mean, it's just. <laughs> uh, and they are, you know, they're owning the whole. We're the billion dollar babies because they were these kids who were the biggest band in the world at that time. Two books were written about that tour. Uh, one by Alice and one by a journalist named Bob Green. And it was just, they were so huge, it was ridiculous uh, in 1973. And that album uh, is prob- is perhaps not the absolute very best, but it's among the greatest things that group has ever put out. Of course, the group was uh, six records and then Alice solo after that. But uh, this was the band, and it was probably the it was the next to last album. If I were really pretentious, I'd say penultimate. But was, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not pretent- I'm not snooty enough and uh, putting on uh, enough airs to uh, say no? such a thing. Yeah, I'm not me. You no, know. not today. But um, it's a, it's just an incredible, brilliant album. And the uh, talk about flashy uh, artwork. I mean, it's a it's a giant billfold it's a wallet with a billion dollar bill in it uh, a snakeskin wallet it's just incredible Uh, and uh, it was an amazing it's an amazing album and you really need to discover that if you haven't heard it because uh, that was that's one of the key albums of the 70s as as great as Schools Out is I think Schools Out is probably their masterpiece but and killer but uh, Billion Dollar Babies is right up there too so these are and a lot of people missed Alice Cooper pretty much I did even older folks and they I totally missed him yeah you gotta get into this is some of the most cutting edge and progressive and uh, theatrical dramatic rock that you've ever heard you know and yeah they look like a bunch of you know long-haired kids and that's what they were but somehow right. they were uh, doing something unprecedented and, and ingenious so anyway that's a that's a, a real smash from 1973 that was probably the key the key album of 1973 for me oh well wait that's just the first one yes. so be careful <laughs> so the next album is David Bowie Aladdin Sane I know. This was written on tour in America while he soared into the celebrity stratosphere at home. And it was a dazzling song cycle freed from the conceptual constraints that characterized its iconic predecessor, Ziggy Stardust. So uh, before we go on, before I get your response to this, I want to say thank you to Louder. So this is an article that I'm borrowing from Louder.com. So thank you so much to Louder. We are actually using your brilliant uh, review of these. Well, that didn't work out. Let me try that again. We're actually, you know, you, we're actually using your brilliant article and it's 20 greatest albums. So thank you very much. Just wanted to give them a shout out. Thank you, Louder. These Louder kids seem to have their heads on straight uh, <laughs> so far. So Aladdin Sane. 
What say you? I mean, this album just... Uh. Well, I know, of course, I know some of the songs on it, but I believe it or not, I've never heard the album proper cover to cover. Uh, strangely enough, I probably know most of the songs on it. Back in the day, that's pretty much how it was. Right. You'd hear a song here or there, you'd see a live performance on TV, but if you didn't have it and your friend didn't have it, you didn't hear the whole you thing. You didn't, right. And, but what's, my, what's been my excuse for all these years with the internet? Well, none, really. I should have listened to it. But I was seriously into Bowie around that time, and that was one of the key influences and the key you know jolts into the entirely different sphere of music at the time. Because we had like Ziggy Stardust, of course, and and pinups, and later on we would have Diamond Dogs, but it's a great album. Uh, iconic imagery, of course, and uh, everybody copies that look that he has on Aladdin Sane to uh, pay homage to him, but brilliant stuff by Bowie. That's what was happening. What else did these uh, wise persons <laughs> come up with? Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Brain Salad Surgery. Uh-huh. <laughs> we talked about the cover. Let's talk about the music a little bit. Well, it was built around the 30-minute Carnival uh, 9, a veritable brontosaurus of unashamed virtuoso overstatement that gradually unfolded across an entire sign of vital. Vital? An entire side of vinyl, Brain Salad Surgery Defined ELP. I would have to say, yeah, and as far as Carnival 9, uh, taking up the second, and here I am talking about jazz, boring improvisation, and just endless noodling, and then, but I'm okay mm, with Carnival that's 9. That's what I'm saying. Second impression, which is instrumental. Now, mm. it's a futuristic story, the usual, you know, the machines are going to take over, and, you know, we're all becoming mechanized, and, you know, and the machines have had enough of us. It's basically uh, predicting the entire Terminator film series. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty Pres- much. Presciently. Uh, <laughs> no doubt James Cameron listened to this as a kid. was like, hey, I can make uh, nine films about that. That's right. But everybody knows First Impression Part 2, which is, welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Yep. Um, the uh, second impression, as I said, is instrumental. It's all this jazzy stuff. And yes. the third one culminates in uh, all kinds of computerized, uh, mechanized horror. And uh, it's uh, just a brilliant, brilliant piece of music. The uh, name, apparently, from what I read, is... Uh, just kind of a, a play on carnival, carnival. It just sounds like a place. You know, Carnival Nine is this yes. place or this planet or whatever the hell it is. But uh, the album also contains some classical reworkings. Uh, Alberto Ginastera's piano something or other uh, becomes a track called Toccata by them, which is a lengthy electronic keyboard uh, sound effects and uh, all kinds of uh, earwormy uh, burrowing into your skull uh, trickery. Yes. And uh, a timpani solo we also get a rowdy vaudeville romp a real uh kind of a music hall kind of a thing called benny the bouncer about (laughs) people getting in violent fights and killing each other and everything and a ballad the guitar ballad that's really creepy still you turn me on i love that it's uh it's just an amazing album and the unofficial anthem of great britain that everybody knows every schoolboy and girl knows and everybody sings in the streets the first thing they do in the morning is william blake's jerusalem yes And did those feed in ancient times? Everybody knows that one. Uh, And that was the first time I'd ever heard that song was when Emerson, Lake, and Palmer did it on this album. There are other ones that might compete with it, but this is probably the defining uh, ELP album. We talked about the cover, we talked about the music, and uh, hopefully if you have not heard it, you really are uh, motivated now to check it out because it's uh, it's just a classic. It absolutely is. Absolutely. So, what's next? You might be thinking, well, I mean, there can't possibly be more because this has already been too fucking good. But there is Faces, Ooh La La. Ah. With the band already playing reluctant second fiddle to Rod Stewart's ever-burgeoning solo career, Ooh La La marked the original Faces' swan song. And a disillusioned Ronnie Lane quit shortly after its release, frequently overlooked. It's a multifaceted, though characteristically raw, gem, rich in kitchen sink drama, Cindy incidentally, Jack the Lad, oh la la, and sheer ragged brilliance in Borstal Boys. So, this is pretty big deal. And and I'm a fan of Faces. Now, I will say I was a Rod Stewart fan before I was a fan of Faces because, you know, I, I ended up coming upon him backwards, <laughs> you know, because I'm not as old as I sound or I'm not as young as you think I am, whatever. But yeah, absolutely fell in love with Rod Stewart, went back and started listening to Faces and just amazing stuff. Mm. I just love it. And I, I mean, I may act- actually love it more than I love the Rod Stewart stuff, which I did not think was possible because I was around, 
you know, maybe a little bit younger in the 80s and 90s when he had this amazing solo career and he was all over MTV, you know, doing his thing. So what do you think of Faces and especially this album? Well, I actually don't know this album proper. Um, I know Faces. I know Rod Stewart, of course. I'm Rod Stewart is, a, you know, oh. your whole life, Rod Stewart's been there. I mean, from the Jeff Beck group, when he was just the singer yes. of the Jeff Beck group. And uh, many people say that the whole uh-uh-uh-uh guitar and uh, vocal interplay that uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant uh, became so known for was actually pioneered by Beck and uh, Stewart in mm. Faces. Uh, and uh, they, they did a lot of that sort of thing. And I'm very familiar with Rod Stewart's solo career. Had a had a bunch of his stuff solo. Faces, not so much. I know this is one of those really, uh, you know, highly regarded albums, but I'm not familiar with it. But I know Faces. I know what they do, and I know Rod Stewart. And uh, now I got to hear it because yeah. it was 1973, and and I missed it somehow. So I do got to hear it. But I probably know half the tracks. In oh, anyway. I'm sure you yeah. do. Absolutely. Well, moving on to one that is going to be near and dear to your heart, and certainly Lewis's, Iggy and the Stooges' Raw Power. A true masterpiece of pure (laughs) punk rock. Uh, It can be found etched into these grooves, though laterally celebrated for its incalculable influence on rock's next generation, Raw Power was initially dismissed as a mere curio. Duff Bowie production or not, Search and Destroy's Alliance of Iggy's Primal Howl and James Williamson's fretboard redefines intensity. Wow. Wow. Now, I'm not familiar with this album like I should be. Now, I've heard it here and there. I love Iggy and the Stooges. It's just it's just a completely different sound to me, and it is really pure punk rock and the way it should be done to me. So I'm really into it. I just need to spend more time with Iggy and the Stooges. Uh, yeah, and uh, and Lewis, if you're listening to this, uh, thanks for, <laughs> for submitting the album cover and yes. everything. And yeah, I, I'm sorry to have to say this, but I actually acquired this album uh, just a couple months ago. Uh, this album, and if you get it on Amazon, it comes with an entire second uh, live album. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And this was the album where James Williamson took over on guitar. Right. And I like it best. Well, the production is better than the first two Stooges records. I'm sorry. Right. But, um, I agree. And uh, I, like what, I like James Williamson and Iggy Pop together. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Iggy Pop solo, and I think... It's every bit as good and probably better than the Stooges, in my mind. But there's a lot more to the Stooges than punk, of course. Of there, course. There's so much. It's so ingenious. Everything Iggy Pop's ever done is so brilliant. And this record is a killer. And if you don't have it, get it now, and you get the extra live album with it. But I just uh, I love uh, the Stooges. I used to have a, a live album, uh, Metallic KO, with James Williamson. And uh, this is something that you got to hear. You notice how many records that you simply have to hear yes. uh, came out in that year. I mean, yeah. and uh, I can't wait to hear what's coming up. But I have some idea, some of the great stuff that might be coming up. But this is another one. These are records you pretty much got to have. You know? Yep, they are must-have, certainly for your the 1973 part of your record collection. Right. Next one is one that is just, of course, it's a no-brainer. Led Zeppelin, Houses of the Holy. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean... The breathtaking ensemble interplay and dynamics of Zeppelin were still in place for Houses of the Holy. Yet despite the undeniable excellence of solid gold classics, such as the rampaging, the song remains the same, scintillating, the rain song, and foreboding no quarter, small chinks started to appear in Led Zeppelin's creative armor, but we can forgive them the occasional crunge. Oh, it isn't the crunge that needs to be forgiven. <laughs> if anything does here, it's Jermaker, that lame, watered-down uh, reggae thing. Uh, uh, which, yeah. oh, by the way, uh, Lady Gaga used to cover that, used to play that in her band before she was called Lady Gaga. There's footage out there of mm. her band playing uh, Jermaker. That's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, it Of is. all the songs. Of all the songs. But she sings, you ever sing Black Dog? Oh, She's amazing. She, can, yeah. uh, she can sing anything. But um, this album, haters, suck on it, haters, because this album, I, I, internet trolls are forever. The Zeppelin stole everything. Yeah, what did they steal from this album? Tell me what blues man is out there saying. I wrote the song remains the same. You did not. Okay, that that right there is an absolute runaway train of a song of of sheer explosive brilliance. And Christina knows this that that's my right behind mm-hmm. Cream White Room, my number two right. all timer, and probably tie for number one. And if you just listen to the way they are on the album and the way they used to do them in concert in 1973. The one-two punch of The Song Remains the Same and The Rain Song, because they go right oh. into, that alone right there. Should, should 
Every, let everybody force everybody to clap their hands off their over their filthy sewer holes, <laughs> and uh, it establishes Led Zeppelin as, as simply a, a pretty much an unbeatable band. Uh, those they two, are. absolutely, and um, every track, as you said, no quarter, no an quarter, absolute yep. ingenious tour de force. There's a little fluff like Dancing Days, but it's a great tune. It's, it's a fun. great tune. It's a great tune. The crunch, I'm fine with that. Has anybody seen the bridge? But uh, <laughs> I'm just Jamaica is the low point I and everything. Can't. But I, I, I don't, I, I don't can't. resent it. I don't skip it. I play that album. Oh, you know, I front skip to back. it. I'm not in. You skip it. Yeah, I'm and not in. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, what a what a record. This is the one that proves who Led Zeppelin really is and can be, and then should uh, later rest any of this. Uh, yeah, they did nick a few riffs here and there, and I'm not, and, and a few songs, who and hasn't? I'm not, and I'm not thrilled with that. No, but what they did originally was so so much farther beyond absolutely any of that. Nah, this is the one you pretty much have to hear, and it's all original. There's no covers. There's no, you know, nobody's claiming credit for any of this stuff. This was the the all original Led Zeppelin album, and um, masterpiece. And and all of this was happening when I was 12 years old. So I mean, this was just uh, how much awesome can you take? What? I wasn't born yet. Oh, you, <laughs> I, was, I thought that was you said this already. No. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> oh no no no. Uh, okay. You know, one of the, the interesting things is, you know, we talked about on Birds of a Feather, we talked about sampling and how I don't believe in sampling, but I do sampling the way it is now picking and, you know, just grabbing a song wholesale. But, you know, I think we all borrow from our heroes. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that doesn't really bother me for borrowing, like I said, like a snare sound or maybe oh i really like the way you know the sound that that bass make or that particular whatever that particular rhythm or something i'm okay with that but i i think that wholesale lifting is different so i feel like what led zeppelin did makes sense and it's what i would expect any band who is kind of paying homage or building upon any of their influences would do i mean we all do that if you think about it you're like oh well if i if i listen to it that sounds like this a little bit, you know? So I'm okay with that because we all borrow from our heroes. We all do. It's just what we do. I mean, it has to come from somewhere, you know? I mean, I I wanted to just manifest out of me all this brilliance, but sometimes I'm borrowing. I'm borrowing the way, uh, you know, somebody sounds when they sing or phrasing or intensity. I'm borrowing, the, sho- the old shoulders, you heard this in school, I'm sure, kids. The old shoulders of giants thing. Yes. And they did it, too. They were inspired by somebody. That's they right. were doing, you know, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you come up with something that's so completely original, well, good for you, because most people <laughs> are, you know, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a process. And, it, it and of course, it takes talent. Of course, it takes, uh, you know, uh, the creative genius to come up with something that's based on something else. Yes. But, uh, you know, uh, everybody's does it. Uh, everybody has done it. And, and this album, Led Zeppelin virtually does doesn't do it at all. They, they come up with no. stuff. Nobody did a song like the song remains the same no. before. I've never heard anything no, like I agree. it. Interesting trivia about that one, which most of you probably know. Anyway, it was supposed to be a, uh, an instrumental originally. I didn't know that. It's actually. hard to believe. I had a dream. Can you picture that not being in there? No. You know, but uh, originally it was going to be an instrumental, um, and. Uh, Nah, you can't leave Plant out of that. I mean, it was no. too good. Uh, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Uh, interestingly, the the song Houses of the Holy was was written and recorded at this time, but they saved it for the next album, Physical Graffiti, which was a that, oh, was, a, that was a whole other that's world. That's a whole other world. That's your de- that's see a desert island disc there right there, kids. Uh, and <laughs> so, uh, how much awesome? I mean, we were we were at risk here. It was more than we could take. I mean, there was just too much awesome coming oh. in. We were we were ready to collapse. Uh, oh, but there's more. Oh no, no, we can't take anymore. Okay, so continuing on our journey, I must say, and I say this with great joy, the next amazing album of 1973, Mott the Hoople's Mott. Ah. I mean, coming hot on the heels of Mott's inaugural chart success with the cover of Bowie's All the Young Dudes, here was a chance for Ian Hunter to demonstrate his very own songwriting prowess, glam standards all the way from Memphis and Honolulu Boogie charted strongly, and with violence and whiz kid in reverse, Hunter's point was proven. How do you feel about Mott? Well, this Mott, uh, Mott the Hoople, Ian Hunter. This is this is another indispensable part of my my musical upbringing. And uh, I actually have this album on vinyl uh, right now. Uh, I was showing my collection. It's in there, mm-hmm. uh, Mott the Hoople Mott. And, uh, well, it's there's the album is interesting because it was the last album they would do with founding guitarist Mick Ralphs before he was replaced by Ariel Bender the following year. And 
Mr. Ralphs would go on to join the vocalist and drummer from the group Free to form another little ensemble <laughs> and release their debut, and they were called Bad Company. Mm. So it was the last Mick Ralphs, uh, so he founded two of these legendary bands oh. and uh, wrote a number of their songs. But primary songwriter, of course, was Ian Hunter. Mm-hmm. What a man. I mean, this is for, he's got everything. He's got the rock and roll look. He's got that curly oh. hair and those glasses and the voice and the range of songwriting. He would write these, you know, just wild, let's get, I mean, the golden age of rock and roll and uh, all the way from Memphis, just these totally cut loose uh, rock and roll gems that you sing forever. But he also could be introspective and wistful and describe rock and roll in terms like it's a fairy tale. It's a fantasy. It's a loser's game. But if I had to do it all over again, I would do it. You know, he's an incredible writer. And little trivia about him: uh, he wrote a song and recorded a song on one of his solo albums that became a big hit for Mr. Barry Manilow. Oh, really? This, yes, the song "Ships." Interesting. Walked to the sea, just my father and me and the dogs played around on the sand. I would We're never have known that. That pass in the night. Yeah. Ian Hunter wrote that song and recorded it first, and Barry Manilow had a huge hit with it. So that's just goes to show you uh, what he's about musically and how much he can do. Another little interesting bit about this album is that uh, this was the year that they played some shows with Queen as the, as the British say, support act. Queen was uh, opening for them. And that's referenced in the Queen song from the following year's album, Sheer Heart Attack, on the song uh, Now I'm Here, uh, when they say, Down in the City, Just Hoople and Me. That's because they had played together. And years later, they would do all the young dudes together, Queen, Annie, and Hunter. Oh. And uh, yeah, on stage, it's a, it's a wonderful performance. So the songs on this album and some of the other Mott classics like The Golden Age of Rock and Roll and, of course, Roll Away the Stone, Roll Away the Stone. Won't oh beautiful stuff I tell you just just gives me chills remembering how this music moved me then and now this is another absolute must hear from 1973 so yeah good heavens what could possibly be next oh I think you're going to enjoy the next in a series of amazing albums because this one certainly is second to none Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon oh well previewed at London's Planetarium. Roger Waters' treatise on mental illness finally found the post-Barrett Pink Floyd fulfilling their potential. The fluidity of us and them, the great gig in the sky, jarring alarm bells of time, and staccato cash registers of money typify an album that defines an era. It does define an era, and as we talked about, if my memory serves, I don't know, there was a, the prism now belongs to Pink Floyd. It belongs Floyd. to I them. I mean, when you see the prism, it's like, oh, yeah, it's Dark Side of the Moon. This album's been on the charts for, like, well, the day it was released until now. And, and um, forever will and be forever charting. And forever will be. And one of the notable things about this album is its practicality. I mean, if you ever suspect that the, a sense of general well-being is about to overtake you, Act quickly and throw this record in. It is the antidote to happiness. Just put it in and allow them to tell you Pink Floyd's specialty is making you low to test your life. <laughs> this is a tip. Oh. This is like a Pink Floyd said. Oh, your life's not worth a dime. A bleak and hopeless waste of time. That's basically what you get from Pink Floyd. But, you know, that being said, I actually love this record, though. I truly do. I love this album. Um, you, you can't take its message too seriously. It's, you know, if it's about mental illness, then they say good. Because if, if you do listen to it too carefully, it'll mess up your mind, too. But, no, it is an absolutely ingenious album. And uh, it does deserve, it's all kidding aside, it does deserve its uh, acclaim and its success and uh, its... So many uh, tapestries in there, and I love how they include uh, saxophone. Even though there's no saxophone player in the band, uh, they routinely bring in someone to uh, lay down some beautiful, beautiful saxophone work. And uh, the guest uh, female vocalist on oh, the Great Gig in the Sky. Beautiful. This is uh, it's it's an amazing record. And I, I recently acquired a. Uh, Pink Floyd tribute kind of thing. We've talked about tribute albums, so this is one I never yeah. heard of, and I usually am not down with tribute albums either. But this one, uh, there's three discs. The second one is some songs from some of the other Pink Floyd albums, but the first one is the entirety of Dark Side of the Moon, 
recreated in order by various artists, you know, big legends from the world of progressive rock, of course, you know, course. King Crimson, uh, yes. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, yes, and some unlikely people like uh, Edgar Winter, oh, wow. and uh, Robbie Krieger of The Doors, sure. and Fee Wabel of The Tubes, I mean, this, everybody's like, Deep Purple's Glenn Hughes, huh, our guy, oh, we talk, hey. Mr. Mr. 4% himself, <laughs> uh, and Elliot Easton of The Cars, uh, just a, one of the under-recognized guitar players of all time, he's genius. I personally probably have a slight preference for Wish You Were Here, we were talking about before with the cover, but um, this is right up there too. I mean, they shine, David Gilmour uh, just shows his uh, guitar uh, master, his poetic genius on this record. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a must hear. But be sure to listen to "Walking on Sunshine" before, and uh, oh, no. you know, uh, with something else afterwards. Uh, uh, don't worry, be happy. Perhaps afterwards, it's benign. But it's uh, yeah, it's as benign as it is. It's the antidote for Pink Floyd. Uh, well, I you know I have to to tell you that I actually love about Pink Floyd. First of all, that they're talking about mental illness. Um, and I love that there's a darkness to their music. I mean, uh, as you know, Ascent has a lot of darkness, dark themes. And I think that's okay. I think if you're going to express some dark themes or some, you know, I guess, you know, dark insight on life, that I think it be expressed through music. And I think a lot of people identify with this album for that reason, not only the musicality and, and obviously the skill level, the mastery that's at play, but because it does tackle some of those things that we face all the time. I mean, life is not a picnic. It just isn't. And I love the fact that this band really says, hey, shit sucks. And you're like, yeah, it does suck. Thank God somebody fucking heard me. It does suck. And I like that. And I revel in that sometimes. And sometimes I revel in this particular album because it soothes my soul to know that there are other people who get whatever I'm going through. So I, I kind of dig that about them. And again, as a sense, that is something that we do. We tackle like, you know, domestic violence. And, you know, I mean, you who went back into our archives, even, you know, stumbled upon a song that was about you know, putting my dog to sleep. I mean, you know, it's not like, I mean, that's just life. Life offers up a lot of shit. And I know music is an escape, but sometimes music is also the thing that, you know, this is the way the artist reaches out and says, hey, I get it. This does suck. So I really love that about it. And it's while it's a darker album, I still think it shines and its bright spot is in the fact that there's such empathy in this this music to me so it really resonates with me and this album is an album for the ages it's it's going to be something that people look at and aspire to and are moved by far beyond my lifespan you know it's just going to happen and obviously uh, pretty much everybody's on board with that because this is one of the most popular albums of all time. Of all and, time. And, hey, I'm not knocking. It's in my collection. I have it. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't have a little fun with these uh, these uh, gloom and doomers. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, just uh, a whole album of that. I mean, well, they're all pretty much like that, mm -hmm. though. I mean, wish you were here. What's their idea of uplifting on that one? Uh, have a cigar. I mean, you no. Know, it's just like you know the you know the, the the cynical. You know, you're being manipulated in the music business thing. I mean, so it's all pretty much like that. But um, ultimately, the the tone of it, the melodies are so beautiful. Breathe is just phenomenal. Uh, I just, uh, I love this record. I really do. So, uh, bleakness aside, it is, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a gem. Then, what a year! Yes, absolutely. So, well, that moves us on to another one that I think you're, you're going to be pretty excited about. So, are you braced? Are you ready? Let's hear what, what else is. We, we handled it then. I think I can handle it now. Okay, Lou Reed's Berlin. Oh, yes. <laughs> the core conceptual premise of Berlin, boy meets girl, boy slaps girl, girl has breakdown, loses kids, takes life, boy repents at leisure, might be one of the most depressing stories ever told, so you must hate this one, but lose lyrical sensitivity and Bob Ezrin's production transform a potential doom fest into an oddly uplifting experience. Now, I don't know this album, although... I do know that story, boy meets girl, boy slaps girl, girl. <laughs> I mean, I think we're all familiar with that. So while I won't have a lot to say about this, I, I will say I, I missed the Lou Reed boat. I did. I missed it. Um, and I'm interested uh, about whether or not I should go back and catch up. So I'm going to be leaning on what you say right now. Well, since you are so enamored of, uh, you know, 
guts being ripped out and everything like that. This is probably the record for you. And and Pink Floyd, uh, please accept my apologies. You were not the most depressing thing in 1973. <laughs> Lou Reed was. Uh, but And I had this album. I have Dark Side of the Moon now, but I had this album, Berlin. And uh, I did not have much in the way of Lou Reed. I didn't. Uh, but this one, in fact, this is probably the only Lou Reed album I ever really owned. Mm. Uh, although I've heard a few. Um, it is... You know, uh, unremittingly depressing. However, it's telling a depressing story about one person where Pink Floyd wants everybody to be depressed. Too. <laughs> but, no, but, they want to express empathy. Because empathy, <laughs> they're telling you your life is futile and a complete waste, and you're just you're just working yourself to death. Anyway, but uh, this one, uh, you know, there's really nothing that we call rock and roll in this record. But there's uh, how do you think it feels? Has a nice guitar solo and everything, and. Um, uh, oh, Jim, which is, I suppose it's about Jim Osterberg, which is Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the kids, it's, it's, it is kind of a downer of an album, but it must not have been that bad because I listen to it often. So, um, <laughs> I, it sounds like it's pretty bad. Yeah. They're well, calling it one of the most depressing stories ever told, David. <laughs> and you just you just pretty much said that Pink Floyd was like the most depressing, and they actually said this is the most depressing yeah. ever. Until until you mentioned this one, yeah, Pink Floyd had the had the crown, but <laughs> but I uh, I did I listened to it a lot. This guy it's got some uh, really uh, strong melodies on it, and. Well, Bob Ezrin, you mentioned Bob Ezrin. A couple times. Just an incredible producer. Uh, uh, This is one of the unsung heroes. I think uh, uh, the average music listening public who's not into credits doesn't realize how big an influence Bob Ezrin has been. Uh, He, uh, the one who took Alice Cooper's career, Alice Cooper was this avant-garde, you know, kind of a freaky band and everything. The stuff was fascinating, the first two albums. But, you know, Bob Ezrin kind of focused him a little bit in on kind accessibility shaped and, and shaped him. And, yeah. and he's, a, he's a songwriter, a keyboardist, and a composer. And he usually co-writes with some of the people he records with. And totally transformed Alice Cooper's career. And uh, the band took off and was recorded many, many records, uh, produced many albums for Alice, the band, and Solo. Also, you know this one. He is responsible for Another Brick in the Wall Part 2. Yes. He was telling Pink Floyd, uh, this is how big an influence is. He was telling Pink Floyd, you got to go out to the discos and listen to this kind of stuff. And they did. And they said, this shite. I can't stand it, you know? (laughs) And, uh, but he said, listen to this beat. And this is how the beat and the bass on Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 came in. And he's responsible for the kid, the the children's vocals. We don't need no education. Who came back 20 years later and said they want to sue and they want money. That whole thing. There are three parts (laughs) of Another Brick in the Wall and this one sets it completely on its own in a class of its own. And that's why it's a single. That's why you'll hear it on the radio to this day. Not to mention super tasty guitar licks from uh, David Gilmore. It is just one of those things. It comes on the radio and you just don't turn it off. You don't. Uh, you'll listen to it. No matter how many times and you've heard it. It's pretty much all Bob Ezrin's baby. And when he played the children's recording for the band, they were like, oh shit, he was right. He yeah. was right. And uh, he also produced a couple albums for Kiss, including their huge hit Destroyer. So Bob Ezrin has been around. He's like. He's the man. He's like a George Martin, only George Martin didn't have that many bands he was involved with. Whereas Bob Ezrin was all over the place. And uh, just a great producer. And uh, when you grew up in the 70s, loving records and wanting to know credits and who was involved, Bob Ezrin is right up there. He's a, he's a hero. And unfortunately, there were douchebag journalists. We've talked about it other times, too. But uh, <laughs> great stuff like Bob Ezrin, who continues to uh, inspire with the, the great records he uh, made for all these uh, fantastic artists. So I didn't know until you told me just now that he produced Berlin. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And I don't just like it for that either, because uh, <laughs> I remember it's depressing little ass uh, being, a, being a good record. I played it a number of times, so it couldn't have been that bad. Uh, could not have been that bad. Well, this one, you are really, really going to love. You're going to rejoice. You are going to celebrate. You're going to be delighted. Rolling Stones. Goat's Head Soup. Oh, wow. Well, um. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that before when I think I was uh, erroneously saying Diamond Dogs was 73 or something. Anyway, but yes. yeah, Goat's Head Soup really was 73. I'm right about this one. You are right about this one. And this is uh, one of those overlooked classics, I think, although hardcore fans are really appreciate it. So what does the Brain Trust at Louder <laughs> say about it? 
Exile on Main Street, what, uh, Streep? Like, Street. like a Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. <laughs> Exile on Main Street was always going to be a hard act to follow. And in Stone's lore, Goat's Head Soup is frowned upon as something of a poor relation. That said, the majority of bands would kill to concoct material of this quality. Angie is a fabulously decadent slice of acoustic jet set on Wii. And Star Star is delightfully salacious. Now, I have to stop here. And say that I would never have listened to this album if it wasn't for you. And because you loved it so much and you raved about it so much just when we were hanging out, not even on the show, just when we're hanging, I went on Spotify and listened to the entire album twice. And I was just blown away. It is the stones that I think I had always wanted, but Mm. had never met. And I was just in love with this incarnation of them. This album is really just otherworldly to me. I love it, love it, love it. So I really appreciate that you introduced me to it. And it is probably my favorite Stones work. Despite all of their hits, this is just something different. It is so delicious. I just loved every track. Yeah, this is the other Satanic Majesty's request. This is the offbeat uh, redheaded stepchild Stones album, although, of course, they don't frown upon this one as much as they do Satanic Majesties. And this one is better in every way and much more accessible. And, and this is Desert Island wise, I'd probably go with Exile on Main Street because it's two albums. But this is my Stones disc right here. This is one that I played uh, endlessly uh, growing up. And apart from Angie and Star Star and Silver Train, most of the tracks on this have a v- distinctly mysterious kind of almost a voodoo sound to them because it was recorded in Jamaica and so as, cool. as befitting an album called Goat's Head Soup with a picture of a mm-hmm. goat's head in a, in a pot or something. Uh, it's an extraordinary album and when the Stones were releasing their you know, new remasters of their classic era albums for like the 37th time. They were had this montage flashing by on social media and Goat's Head Soup wasn't there. And everybody was like, hey, the fans are like, what happened to Goat's Head Soup? You know, uh, because I mean, it did after all, if nothing else, spawn a big hit for them, Angie. But they had other plans. In fact, they were releasing and they did release a two disc set and suckers like me fork over twenty bucks to get it. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, they would oh, you could spend hundreds on the vinyl, oh, and, yeah. you know, the box, the magical, you know, booklets and boxes and mm-hmm. things like that. But I got the record itself because it comes with the second disc of the usual suspects of outtakes and you know alternate versions and everything, and three new tracks, uh, tracks that were recorded at the time that were never released, including one called Scarlet with Jimmy Page, and uh, who played with them later on another song called One Hits of the Body. So, this is one I, I was willing to go that far for because uh, it's a lifelong favorite and everything. So, since I have that on order, I dispensed with my copy and uh, gave it to you. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness. I will take those hand-me-downs any day. So, we have one final record that we're going to talk about. We just don't have time to get to all of them. But I will share what they were. The last one of 1973 that we have time to talk about is going to be, I believe, another one of your favorites, though not one of mine. The Who's Quadrophenia. Pete Townsend's homage to the 60s mod subculture that helped catapult the Who to stardom was long time coming. But the complex conceptual tale of every man mod, Jimmy Cooper's fraught passage to adulthood, a spiritual journey exacerbated by a four-way personality split, one for each Who member, was well worth the wait, so say louder. Now, I'm going to go ahead and make people hate me. I am not a Who fan. I tried. I can't even tell you how many times and how many songs and how many uh, people I've asked, and I just don't get it. And it's not that I'm thick. It's not that I'm without taste. It's not a snobbery thing. I just don't get it. So, I know the Who is an amazing band. I know people love them. I know they're very talented. They're just not the band for me. And I think that's okay. I'd love to hear what you think of this album that I know is just timeless. Yeah, it certainly is. And and I I understand not getting there are groups that just don't they don't work for me. I don't know why. I know they're good at what they do. I know they're good. There are ones that yeah. I don't even understand that, of course, but there are ones that, okay, I know that's good. Why don't I like it? Yeah. Whatever. I'm not going to force myself to like it. It troubles to like me it. that I don't, but I just don't yeah, try. Yeah. Well, this album, uh, boy, what a year. This album is, this is the Who Rock Opera. I mean, they're known far and wide. I mean, Tommy, 
uh, was uh, it was a play. It was a movie. It was well, it was Quadrophenia was a movie too, which I never saw. But um, that's the one that they're all. You know, it's being done over and over again, symphonically, and you know, symphony and orchestras tour and play. I mean, it's that big a deal where it was on Broadway and everything. I don't quite get that though. It's great. But four years later, Tommy was 1969. Four years later, in 73, the Who, this is completely different. Tommy has this typical 60s, dreamy, druggy kind of sound, which I, which I like those vocals that they did in those days. But Quadrophenia, is a, is a, this is a pure rock album. This one, Just mm-hmm. Plain, comes out and kicks your ass. It's got honest-to-goodness punk on it, like The Real Me and Punk Meets the Godfather. But it's got some serious progressive rock and instrumentals, and Pete Townsend is just laying down these thick layers of synthesizers and guitars a la mm. David Gilmore. It's really amazing wow. stuff. And um, I uh, recently, uh, a few months ago, actually, what am I saying? It's been almost a year. <laughs> uh, I saw The Who at the Hollywood Bowl with an orchestra, and they played, they opened with like 20 minutes of Tommy. You know, and I'm thinking, okay. I, I enjoyed it. It was really good, but it's all uphill from here because everything they do else I like better because Tommy, I think, is a little bit overrated. And then they did like about a half hour of Quadrophenia later on, and it was like, wow, this mm-hmm. is the shit. So this is the real Who rock opera, and I don't know if it's the definitive Who album to start with. If you're not familiar with them, you might want to listen to Who's Next or something like that. But this is, I mean, it's a two records, a double album, and uh, it covers so much ground. And we have lead vocals from uh, pretty much everybody in the band, but largely it's Roger Daltrey. But Pete Townsend gets some fantastic turns on this and uh, shows his true range as a, as a composer and a musician. And it's kind of hard to deny the genius of The Who when you really look at Quadrophenia. There are some disturbing elements of the story, certainly. And Jimmy Cooper does some pretty evil things when he's on uh, booze and drugs and everything else. And it's a tale of mixed up kids and, you know, and all kinds of trouble and everything but makes a little bit more sense than tommy anyway (laughs) tommy was a little out there but um yeah i love this record and uh, i uh, i have this today and uh it's not one i would part with i don't know if it's one of the desert island four along with the white album and physical graffiti and exile on main street and yeah i might throw this one in there too maybe because i have a thing for double albums but uh yeah this is one that's worth checking out and i think uh, you'd be impressed if you've heard you know, the poppy who or the uh, the live, raw, punky who, I think the true scope of what they're doing here will really have to impress you. I mean, Pete Townsend is just an unqualified, absolute genius. And the guy's like 77 years old, and he's still out touring and cracking wise and making jokes and, and you know, <laughs> just being uh, whack and cursing like a sailor on stage. He's just so full of fire I still. I fucking love that. And this is yet another artist who is came out in the 60s, the early 60s, and is still putting out new stuff. They put out an album in December last year, and uh, Bob Dylan did the same thing just a month or two ago. I have to salute these guys who are just, uh, they've still got it in them. They can't keep it in. They still have to go out there and and punch it and create new art and entertain us. And The Who's doing that. The last album was really good, but (sighs) hard to beat this one. Uh, They've got a couple I would prefer, but Quadrophenia establishes The Who, as does uh, House of the Holy, establishes The Who as one of the great bands of all time, in my opinion. I understand you don't get them. It's probably the vocals. I think it's probably Roger Dolce's voice. Certainly the vocals are definitely a deterrent. It's just like Pearl Jam to me. I mean, nobody, no music could be good with Eddie Vedder on vocals or Lane Staley or any of those guys. It's probably the same thing. You either like Roger Daltrey or you don't. I do not. And that's that's probably the thing. I should put together a, a set of songs that Townsend sings that would be great. from The Who. I would love that. He, he seems to always give himself the best parts anyway. He does some brilliant stuff on Quadrophenia. So yeah, maybe a Townsend-only uh, listen, uh, maybe, or some instrumental stuff, and maybe you'd finally really get what the who is about i'd be willing yeah. to try Excellent. i really would so we'll open that, minds it's what we do I, that's here. what we do we, what we open we do our here. minds open our hearts open our wallets whatever we, we need to open if, <laughs> we will we will we open will. our wallets we will yes. support musicians we're not gonna you know rip off an old artists just because they're millionaires and nope. they're retired we're gonna pay for what we get that's right we're gonna support indie artists we're gonna go to those damn venues that's as right. we said as soon as we can and we'll you know, right until then online the support that's right online support and we do keep open minds here. And if we appear to be trying to spoon feed you stuff, uh, digestible little bits, and, and it's you know what it is we're both educators. We yes. can't help it. I'm sorry <laughs> if you don't know that about us. We are both uh, we're teachers. We uh, do a little bit of here comes the plane. You know <laughs> that's right. You know the, the train's coming. Choo choo. Right. Open up. You know. Sorry, we're used to parceling things out in such a way to educate people and teach people and stuff. So 
Yeah, so that's that's a little bit about our background. We did not obviously know that about each other when we first met, and we discovered it, uncovered it, and have been reveling in it ever since and laughing at the fact that we both do some things pretty similarly. We both are facilitators. We've both been training managers. We both, you know, are, are educators, as We're he said. Goody two shoes, both you know. goody two shoes, both indie music supporters and lovers. And Class, I mean, into classical music. Into classical music. I mean, I curse like a sailor, and sometimes I inspire that in you. No, you know, you, you started me. You yeah, know. I just, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. And I just, I say embrace it. Embrace the fuck. I do. Um, anyway, let me share the rest of the albums on this list that we didn't have time to get to. Hawkwind, Space Ritual. Other notable albums, Leonard Skinnerd, And uh, we also had Nazareth, Razmanaz. Hey, hey, nice. New York Dolls, New York Dolls. Hey. Mike Oldfield. Two debuts there, nice. Yes. Yeah. Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells. We also have Roxy Music for Your Pleasure. Ah. Sensational Alex Harvey Band with the album Next. Status Quo with Hello. And I'm sad we didn't get a chance to get to this, but ZZ Top's Tres Hombres. Ah. So uh, those are the ones we didn't have a chance to get to. And I'm sure there are many more, but this is Louder's Top 20 Best Rock Albums of 1973. So... Hey, them, uh, them kids got their heads on they, straight over there. They they know what's going on. They know what's up. They even know what time it is. So, <laughs> so that really concludes this particular episode of Winging It. There will be more. Remember that this show happens on Birds of a Feather regular shows off weeks. So you will never go another week without us unless you absolutely want to. And we get that you might want to, but we hope you don't want to. So I guess at this point... Wait, that, wait, wait. What was... It's hard to imagine they wouldn't want to. It's I mean, like you get to have us every week, as as the prisoner says in Monty Python's Life of Brian, "You lucky bastards!" <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I lie awake wishing I would be spat in the face. That's you know? right. Exactly. So while we can't imagine you wouldn't want to hear from us every week. We understand if you don't, but just, you know, don't let us know. I don't want to know. I'm just going to assume you're all going to be there every week, cheering us on, laughing with us, laughing at us. But since that concludes... We know you're doing that. We, of course. You're, if you're not, you're not listening. Right? I, right? I mean, exactly. So, I guess that only leaves for you to say... Let's fly this coop. Is it this coop? Yeah. <laughs> you say that every time. <laughs> Of course it's this coop. Let's fly this coop. This has been Birds of a Feather on Fusion Music Radio.